0: You know, the church survived for 1950 years without overhead projectors, so we'll do all right this morning. We're going to make it. Maybe that's a sign that my slides weren't any good, and so you guys will have less to critique. So when, when Laura and I first got married, we didn't have much. I was getting straight out of seminary. I barely had enough for a deposit on a rental house, but we found this place, and it was a steal, I mean, everyone who, who came over and we, you know, they'd say, how much are you paying for this place? And we'd tell them and they're like shocked. Uh, fact of the matter is, is it was condemned prior to us living there. Uh, the, the landlord slapped some paint on it. There was one other tenant, I think, that had lived there for one year and then we came in. Uh, but it was incredible location. It was M Streets. I could throw a baseball to the Granada, Gloria's, All shucks, Snuffers. I mean, it was like such a fun place to be newlyweds uh, and, and, as I was getting the place, the landlord was a pretty feisty lady. Um, she was like, no nonsense, all business. And, and I was honestly, I was afraid we weren't going to get it. Uh, but as I'm there meeting her at the house to sign the lease, uh, you know, when you can just sense someone that's walked up, there was someone standing there. And so I'm talking with her and trying not to ruffle any of her feathers so I can just get the signature down and hand her the check so that the deal would be closed. And, uh, this old man, probably 85, maybe 90, goes, Hello. And I'm like, Hi. Uh, turn back and I'm continuing. He's like, You move into the neighborhood? You know, talking slow. And I'm like, This is not the time, man. Like, I, I don't know who you are, but like, like, I need to get this place for my wife and I. And I just totally slough him off. Like, I didn't have time for him. I push him away. I was a jerk. And it, uh, it haunted me. Because we did end up living there. And as I'm signing the lease and handing him the check and the keys, I'm watching as this um, rejected older man whom I'm to respect and honor walks directly across the street and walks back into his home. He was my new neighbor. And I was a jerk to him. And I didn't have time for him. Well, over the course of time... I sought out to love not just him, but all our neighbors. And so I was interacting with him every chance I could get. I'd see him get the mail. I'd intentionally walk outside. I'd be, you know, working on my car. He'd walk out. We were always talking, and and I would tell him about Jesus. I was always trying to engage him in a spiritual conversation. And uh, he then didn't have time for me. And he certainly didn't have time for Jesus. And every time I would talk to him about eternal life and forgiveness of sins through Jesus, he would say, oh, I... John, I have, uh, I've had enough of religion. When I was a kid, I was in this Catholic school, and it was all rules, and they would, they would beat my hands with rulers until they bled. And he's like, and I'm like, but, but there's forgiveness. His name was Tex. I never even knew his name. His, he went by Tex. I don't know his first or last name. Tex. And so I was like, but Tex... There's forgiveness. It's not rules. There's forgiveness. And he said, as far as forgiveness went, he was like, no, you don't understand what I did in the Korean War. I did horrible things that can never be forgiven. And so I would talk and talk, but no time for me, no time for Jesus, any it went to spiritual conversations. And then one day... Um, things just started to get different. I'd come home from work and I'd see the the door to his blue Ford Taurus just wide open in the driveway. And I'd kind of watch and it would remain open. And so I'd go over there and be like, Tex, your car door is open. I just want to make sure, you're okay. And, oh, I guess I forgot when I was carrying in the groceries. Probably two months later, heat of summer, I look over and his front door is wide open. And at that point, I thought, his fate is sealed. Like Tex died and he's in that hot summer house. He, Couldn't get the door open to call for help or whatever it is. So I run across the street, Tex, Tex. And there he is sitting in his recliner. Hello, John. I'm like, are you okay? And I don't even think he realized it was open. Tex was slipping. And I wake up another morning and I look outside and there's all this commotion in his house, paramedics. So I go to the house and there is his niece. And I thought for sure then like, that's it. Like Tex has died. He is now spending eternity in hell because he didn't receive forgiveness and his niece says, hey, he's on hospice now. Cancer all over his body. He's not going to make it. He just has a few days. And so I go home and I tell Laura, hey, I'm not going into work. Um, I'm going to I'm going to go sit with Tex. I'm going to read him the Gospels and I'm going to Ask and plead with him to trust Jesus. So pray, Laura. And then I email work, and I'm like, tell all my coworkers, I'm going to meet with my neighbor. He has days to live. Pray. And I sat there with texts and uh, started reading one of the Gospels. I can't even remember which. And he, he's laying there in bed, hooked up to oxygen and pulse oximeter, all this stuff. And, and he says, John, I'm, I'm tired. Like, Stop. And so I'm like, no, (laughs) you're dying. You don't know what's ahead of you. And so I flip ahead to the thief on the cross. And I said, Tex, I know you think what you've done cannot be forgiven. But there was this thief on the cross that did such horrible things that he deserved death, just like you think you do. And Jesus told him, today you'll be in paradise. And I said, you're dying. And very soon you will be dead. And you will face judgment unless you receive forgiveness of sins. And this is something I had said to him probably a dozen times. And he says, I'm ready. I was like, ready for what? (laughs) It's too good to be true. And he's like, forgiveness. I'm like, okay, Dex. Do you believe Jesus was the son of God? Yes. Do you believe he died for your sins? Everything you did, Korean War and all before? Yes. Will you trust him? Yes, believe he raised from the dead, yes. Then pray with me. And uh, he prayed. I told him I loved him, told me he loved me. I walked out of that house. I think he died three days later. Never saw him again, but I will see him again. And the reason why I share that story, y'all, is because that is what Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1 through 14 is all about. Is that we have a very short, finite, fixed amount of time here on earth, which, we'll, which will seal our fate and everyone we interact with, where we will spend eternity. And that's why Solomon can say that the wise are in the house of mourning. The day of death better than the day of birth. The wise will lay hold of it because there is a singleness of purpose. Before, I didn't have time for text. He didn't have time for me. I would imagine there are people in your life right now that you don't have time for. Work's more important. Sports is more important. All the nonsense that we fill our lives with is more important because we think we have more time. But when you realize the fixed amount of time, you start to have a distilled singleness of purpose where you're like, to heck with everything else. This is all that matters right now. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And y'all, I am guilty of this. Because I had time for text, and you know who I don't have time for? The majority of my extended family who is further from God than text was. Tex at least believed in a creator God. My extended family are atheists, polytheists. They think Christianity is a joke. And you know what? I talk to them every Christmas and most Thanksgivings. Hey, how's the weather up there? What'd you guys do for Thanksgiving? So how's your job going? It's all the nonsense. Because frankly, I think I have more time and I think they have more time. And I lack that purpose with them. And so God gave us Ecclesiastes 7, that we would refine our minds to wisdom, that we would know the one thing we have to do is know Christ and make him known. And so that's what we're going to walk through today, because I imagine I'm not the only one in the room who may not be having those wise conversations about Christ. So if you've read in your book... Tommy Nelson does a great job of summarizing this passage. He says, when bad is better, there's a paradox. When bad is better, the hard things are better. Good times are deceitful, hard times bring wisdom, and thus wisdom is protection. We're going to talk through kind of three different things. You know, what I love about the slides not being on the screen is that you'll realize that none of the, uh, the power or... Um, importance of the messages from anything I'll say or from what's on the screen, but rather from the word of God. So let's walk through that. Um, before we do, I want, I want to, you know, we're, we're right on the NCAA championship. And, you know, I have, I have a confession that is very humbling and embarrassing in front of a room full of men. I didn't watch a single game in the tournament. Um, I grew up playing sports. I could care less watching them. But what, but what I have done over the course of time is watch like the last quarters of games and whatnot. And, uh, and I've heard about the Duke game and that they won in the last four minutes. And in the same way, when you realize that time is short, you do only the important things. And it, it's always amazed me when you see like, you can, you can Google greatest last second plays. It amazes me what can happen in the last five seconds of a game. Because a game is, you know, hour or more, depending on what sport you're playing. And and there's times in basketball when guys are like showboat dribbling and passing it, bring it back. They're just killing time, messing around. They're just having fun. And then when you have five seconds left, if you have a well-trained coach, even if you're down by seven or eight in basketball, a coach who can direct his team, you've got a coach that can say, you Foul that guy as soon as he gets the ball. 50-50, won't make the free throw. Even if he makes one, we'll be all right. Get the rebound, put it back. Three-pointer. As you take the three-pointer, you wait until that guy fouls you as you take the shot. You'll hit the bucket. We're into the bonus round. Make one, intentionally miss the second in such a way, we'll get the rebound, dump it out, he'll hit the three, and in five seconds, they've got eight points and won the game. It's insane, and I know you guys have seen it. Maybe it didn't happen in this championship, but you've seen the Lakers do it or whoever else. And it's crazy in five seconds what can happen because there's singleness of purpose. And that's what he says here in these first four verses. First point is character over coverings. The word says in verse one, follow along in your your Bible. A good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death better than the day of birth. A good name is better than precious ointment. That's where you get character is better than coverings. Character over coverings. I knew a guy who, um, well, I didn't know him. He was, he was married to a friend of mine. And he took this, apologies if this offends you, he took a beater four-cylinder Mazda Miata and converted it into a BMW, he like put the BMW, and there's like a kit for this, you know, change the fenders, somebody's nodding their head, you, you can put the BMW emblem on there and like change the steering wheel and voila, your, your four-cylinder Miata is now a BMW, right? No, it's still a four-cylinder Miata and it can't perform like a BMW. It's got a nice covering, which is the most vain thing in the world, that it looks nice, congratulations, but it, it, it still drives like a piece, And that's funny, except that that's how we live our lives. We're like, man, I'm going to spend all this time getting dressed up. I'm going to wear my suit. I'm going to talk fancy. I'm going to really be slick. I'm going to impress the girl or my boss or whoever on this business trip. And we spend all the attention on the outside dressing up the Miata when we spend so little on the character and what's within. And so go figure, when the pressure gets hot and you get into a situation, you don't perform just like the Miata under the BMW emblem. Because character is more important or better than the covering. So how do you get that character? Because that's what we want. You know, that's what, that's what the Bible talks about when, when it says, you know, God looks at the heart, man looks at the outer appearance. So how do we get that wisdom? God's going to tell us here in verses 2 through 4. And he's going to say something very paradoxical and uh, something we don't want but that we need. You want wisdom? It comes through sorrow. He says three ways that it comes through sorrow is by tragedy, trials, and triage. Let's read about that. Verse 2. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay hold to it. Better to go to the house of mourning. You know, if you're married, you get in fights with your wife, and you single guys are like, what? No. It's going to be incredible. You don't know my girlfriend. Just remember, you can listen to this message again online. (laughs) My wife and I went to a funeral of a friend's husband who was here on staff in his 40s, died suddenly. And uh, in the middle of that funeral, I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, you know what? We're not going back to work after this funeral. We are going straight to the nicest steak restaurant immediately available. And we're going to sit and I'm just going to love my wife and I'm just going to enjoy a meal with her, because I don't know, I don't know when that'll be me. And so, tragedy living with the end in mind um, brings about purpose. Psalm ninety verse twelve says, "Teach us to rightly number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom." You see, when when you when you live with Tragedy, excessive sorrow is the definition. When you live with the end in mind and you know that you were on a shot clock, you might call it the shot clock of sorrow. Just like uh, you know, in a basketball game, when you know you've got X amount of seconds before you get the basket in, there's that singleness of purpose. Well, that's the same way. That's what sorrow brings about. It, it helps you to realize what is my purpose and you live with the end in mind. The second one is, is uh, trials. So let's read verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of face, the heart, or spirit, is made glad. So this is, a, this is a confusing one if you just read it in passing. But when you think about it, what he says is that outer will purify the inner. Sadness of face makes the heart glad. When your outer is sad, your spirit will be made glad. And the way that that happens, it's not, again, it's not what we want, but it's through trials. It's through sorrow. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 when he says, hey, although you've had to face trials of various kinds and suffering has come, these trials have come so that the purpose that you have had these trials as either ordained or allowed by God, so that they have come so that your faith may be proved genuine and result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. It's a a proving of our faith. And and there's a little parenthesis in there. He says, like gold, which perishes, though refined by the fire. And so what this is, is when the outer, our emotions, get heated up, like gold, it burns off the dross. It burns off the impurities, the things that don't belong. And our spirit is made glad. That's why the worst year of my life, when I was like full blown alcoholism and returning to the Lord, was the best year of my life. Because I was crushed with uh, losing my job and relationships and addiction. But through that outer sorrow, brought me inner gladness that has not left me since. It has burned off the dross. Trials purify. Verse 4, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of of mirth. So um, this is why I love doing funerals. And uh, lest you think I'm creepy, here's why. Truly, one of the favorite things about my job is that I I love doing funerals because in a funeral, there is a sobriety of spirit. There are people who otherwise never come to church. They say they hate church, they hate religion. But you have a funeral, they show up and they're listening because there's a dead man in a box. Actually, there's a body in a box. That man is either in hell or heaven eternally with a fixed fate And and it brings about a spirit of wisdom. It says the heart of the wise. There are fools in the room, but there is a pervasive spirit of wisdom in the house of mourning where people are like, okay, I'm listening now. You got my attention. Where am I gonna go when I die? Man, I thought we were buddies. You know, here he is, was. All right, I'm listening. What does God have to say? Help me to understand. That's the shot clock of sorrow and what it does to bring about singleness of purpose. Verses 7, I'm sorry, chapter 7, verse 5 through 12. I had a friend of mine when I was going through that difficult time. I was kind of at this fork in the road and there was a really easy, quick way that would relieve me from all pain and there was a difficult, plodding, like years-long way And this friend who was a girl, you know, a a college friend, she said, you know what? Which way is easier? I was like, that way. She's like, yeah, that's probably not the right way. The hard way is the right way. And that's what these verses say right here, verses 5 through 12, is that the hard way is the right way. Because the fools take the easy way and it does not go well for them. We're going to have to go through these a little more quickly, but uh, my first point is, would you rather have kindness or kindling? Kindling, like you put under a fire. Here it is. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. It is better to be rebuked by someone, which means corrected, admonished, told you're doing wrong. That's better than to hear a song. Of fools, For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, there's the kindling. So is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. You know, thorns were gathered and used just to start a fire. They can't sustain a fire. And when you burn them, they crackle and pop. They make a bunch of noise. But in reality, they're doing very, very little. All All they're good for is like the spark. They can't sustain anything. It just makes a kind of a ruckus. Better to be rebuked than to hear the song of fools. So you got your choice of the company you're gonna be with. You wanna have fun? Or you wanna have correction? And I had, in my alcoholism, two friends tell me two different pieces of advice. One was the crackling of thorns, the song of fools. The other was rebuke of the wise. And one said, hey man, you're going through this hard time. You just need to find yourself in the bottom of a bottle of scotch. And that guy that caused you harm, you need to take revenge on him. You want him dead? We can figure out a way. I was like, wow, you're crazy. And then the other guy who was like, you know, a heart punch was like, you have a serious problem and you need to go to rehab. I'm like, but we drink together. And he's like, no, I, I love you enough to not watch you hurt yourself anymore. And it was a very somber, serious conversation. Which one was the true friend? Verse seven, corrupting company. If you choose to be with fools, this is what you'll get. Surely oppression, if you read that word, the Hebrew, you probably saw in Tommy's book or in your ESV study Bible, it says oppression is blackmail or extortion. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. When you hang out with fools, when fools don't get their way, they force their way. Bribes, extortion, blackmail, and if you're with them, you will be implicated with them by association. So I want you to think about who you're in business with, who you're dating, who you're investing with, because when fools don't get their way, they force their way. Don't be around corrupting company. I'm going to read through the last few verses. We're just going to hit one point, but you can either be patient or proud. The patient is the heart of the wise. The proud is the heart of fools. Verse 8. And following, better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the fools of hearts. Say not, why were the former days better than these days? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an an advantage to those who see the sun, for the protection of wisdom is like The protection of money, but it's better. The advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it, which money can't preserve your life. Wisdom can. Um, Out of all of that, the point that I'm going to make is based on why were the former days better than these? Because personally, it's one of my biggest struggles is looking over my shoulder and been trying to be like Monday quarterback. If I would have done this, if I would have chosen that, then, but here I am stuck in these circumstances. I wish I would have done that and just looking backwards. And what I would say is that selective memory creates present misery. This is what the Israelites were guilty of when they were brought out of Egypt. They've just been freed from slavery. And they're like, Moses... Man, in Egypt, we had cucumbers and onions, and here we are, manna and quail. He's like, you were slaves then. You were making bricks in the sun. Your people were beaten and killed, and now you're free? You want cucumbers? When you look backwards, we have selective memory, which creates present misery, because we only remember the good and we forget the bad. At least I do. I'm guilty of it. I saw an old college friend of mine. And she said, uh, man, don't you just wish we were back in college? Those were the good old days. And I was like, no, I don't. I, that's where I became an alcoholic. And now I'm married. I got my little boy. Like Selective memory creates present misery. Blake Holmes always says, these are the good old days. Because he's living in the moment. And if you know Blake's story, he's lived through some hell. But he says, these are the good old days. Always. It rolls off his tongue. My last and final point, from Ecclesiastes 7, verse 13 through 14. When we're faced with suffering, you don't ask why. The wise does not ask why, the wise asks how. You don't ask, why God, why have you brought this to me? Why have you brought this upon me? Why am I facing this? But rather you say, how God, how do you want me to walk through this? How can I walk through this affliction and trial and suffering or prosperity in a way that honors you and furthers your kingdom? Verse 13, consider the work of God, meaning everything that happens sovereignly under his will. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? My wife has obsessive compulsive disorder, and I don't mean like she likes to organize things. I mean, she has a mental disorder where she gets fixated on something and she can't stop and it brings her anguish And sadness of spirit. And she's stuck. And it's really sad. And it's hard to watch. And it's not a lack of memorizing scripture. It's not a lack of spending time with God. She she gets more of both than I do. It's a mental illness. It is a crookedness that she was just born with. God made it crooked. He either allowed it or appointed it. And she used to just fight against it. Like, why? Why do I have this? And I want to get fixed. I want to get free. I don't want to have that. And when she started just saying, you know what? This is what she calls it, a God-given limp, referring back to Jacob from Genesis. She's like, God gave me this limp either part of the fall or he appointed for me to have it. But God gave me this limp. And you know what? Instead of just kicking against it and saying, why? Instead, I'm going to start saying, how? How do you want me to use this? And as a result, rather than despising her her crookedness that she has, that bent, now she's using it as a ministry. And other women and moms come to her and are like, hey, you know, we kind of have this struggle too. Can you, can you kind of help me how you've wrestled with this? Or there's some scriptures you would point me to. Would you pray for us? Could we have a conversation so my, my husband could better understand my illness or my spouse? They're God-given limps, so not why, but how do you want me to use this? And, rather, and lastly, there's purpose in your pain. That's verse 14. There's purpose in your pain, and God will not waste your pain. He'll use it for your good and for his glory. Verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider, meaning ask how, not why, how. In the day of adversity, consider. God has made one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. That's the why question. Like, hey, you may not find out. God may allow you to find out this side of heaven, maybe, but he doesn't have to. And it will prove your faith. Even if he doesn't, it will be the refining and proving of your faith. You may not be able to find out what's after you, why you're facing this, but just in that time of adversity, you consider. John Bunyan, the man who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, which has been translated into as many languages, almost as, that's not true. Second to the Bible, it's been translated the most into languages, And has sold the most copies. This book that was written in, I think, the 1600s. John Bunyan, this preacher, pastor. You know why that book was written? Because he was preaching the gospel contrary to the Church of England. And they put him in prison and said, stop preaching Christ. And he's like, no. You'll remain in prison. Fine. Fine. And so there he remained while his family was destitute. And in prison, he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, which is an incredible book that you should read if you haven't. And again, if you have. And they said, hey, John, we'll let you out if you just stop preaching. He's like, then lock the door. Leave me in prison. God was using his adversity. He said, how rather, rather than why? And he said this, I have in a few words handled this, meaning suffering, to show you that our sufferings are ordered and disposed by God that you might always, when, not if, when you come into trouble for his name, not stagger nor be it lost, but be stayed, composed, and settled in your minds and say, the will of the Lord be done. The will of the Lord be done. How do you want me to get through this? So you remember my, uh, my neighbor, Tex. Well, I also, because of this rent house, had a lot of encounters with another person. Uh, there, were the, there were these other tenants that lived in the house, as well as my wife and I, which was awkward because we were newlyweds. These were the other tenants. Slugs, cockroaches, silverfish, carpet beetles, drain flies, I'm like looking at my list, what else? And then this was the interesting one. We had fleas, but no pets. And so my wife's like, I'm getting bug bites. I'm like, no, you're not, it's the winter. And she's like, I'm getting bug bites. I'm like, oh, you are. And we had fleas because there were either squirrels or rats in our attic of this nasty rent house that was in a great location. And, uh, <laughs> but here's the deal. Here is the how that God wanted to use that. Guess what? My landlord, her husband, was an exterminator. And that brother was at our house every other week because we had slugs in our shower and fleas on our legs. It was like this, this, this house had like biblical plagues. And I'm like, Lord, why? And he's like, no, how? And so Jake would come to our house and I'd go home and meet him and me and Jake are just sitting there talking, Jake, what's going to happen when you die? What do you believe about Jesus? And he went from, hey, I don't like to talk about that stuff, to like on fire wanting to talk about that stuff. He'd come with questions every time to the point where I'm like, I mean, we're probably going to have some cockroaches this week because I haven't talked to Jake in a while and I'm sure he's got some more questions. Man, God redeems all of this. So guys, Navigate through these trials and suffering with a heart of wisdom, a singleness of purpose, that God is at work. And proclaim Christ with the shot clock of sorrow in mind that your time is fixed and so is theirs. And share Christ with them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, that keeps us from living a futile, vain, wasted life, but instead that we could live for eternal things, that we could know and proclaim Christ with a heart of wisdom, a singleness of purpose, rather than the songs of fools in the house of mirth. You've richly given us all things to enjoy, but not to squander our life chasing enjoyment, but rather to be wise. So Lord, may it be. Thank you for this morning. We love you. Thank you for Christ. Amen.